0: This is the KOTO Community Radio News for Wednesday, November 1st. I'm Julia Caulfield.
1: And I'm Gavin McGough.
0: In today's headlines, Telluride approves 2024 budget.
1: Public health names mental health its priority.
0: Blue Lake's plan addresses overuse.
1: And a mountain weather forecast.
0: Telluride Town Council approved its 2024 budget last week to the tune of $50 million. Telluride Town Manager Scott Robson sat down with Codo News to talk through some of the highlights. The conversation starts with Telluride's budget, goals, and objectives.
2: As you might imagine, we have key areas related to sustainability, accessibility, housing, ensuring we've got a uh, robust local economy, kind of runs the gamut. And those 50 or so goals and objectives are really what drive the budget process and where we put money towards. Because if you don't uh, fund it, it's not going to happen on the ground, right? So um, those really are the, serve as the roadmap uh, as we build this budget each year.
0: With that said, what are some of the highlights for Telluride's 2024 budget?
2: This year's budget is uh, just a little bit over $50 million. We're anticipating about a 5% increase in sales tax collections, for example. We're going to be able to really focus in on some key initiatives. I think one of the more exciting areas of growth for us will be bringing childcare into uh, town government for the first time uh, with Elaine's Place at Shandoka in particular. The town has long owned that particular child care center, but it's been run privately. So we're going to bring that child care center under our fold, and uh, we're really excited about that. We know that from a marketing standpoint, again, we've heard and watched the numbers throughout the course of the year, it's incredibly important for Telluride to remain competitive in both national and international destination market. So town council approved a pretty significant increase to our spend with uh, TTB or Telluride Tourism Board at uh, almost a 50% increase. We'll spend upwards of $1.4 million uh, next year, probably with TTB around uh, marketing efforts. But importantly, shop local efforts, visit responsibly efforts, things along those lines where we really do look at marketing much more through a sustainability lens than, than ever. So those are a couple big ones for sure i hope it goes without saying that the town will continue to keep a high level focus on housing projects we'll have uh, four different housing projects in motion in 2024 um, all of which are in motion today actually and those will include of course voodoo Uh, we will have our canyonlands tower house project uh, moving forward that's the empty lot you see just to the east of clark's market Virginia Placer is another housing project um, out on Black Bear by Shandoka. And then uh, a significant remodel of what's called Building F of Shandoka, one of the older buildings out there that will get a major interior facelift, but also get some significant energy upgrades and add some units. Maybe the last just kind of interesting initiative will be kicking off the programming around a youth uh, hangout. And uh, we're looking at uh, voodoo space uh, on that lot to be uh, an opportunity for Youth Hangout, which is going to be really exciting.
0: Obviously, when people think about the budget, there's always considerations of what will that mean for their pocketbooks, for their lives. Is there anything for residents that they will maybe be experiencing out of this budget?
2: Yeah, from a fee standpoint, it's a realm where we do everything we can to keep as modest as possible while still pacing with the consumer price index. For example, we really look at CPI very closely when we work to set rents, for example, across all of our uh, more than 200 units. So we're looking at a 3.5% increase to rents across all units. Again, we hate to get too far behind and have bumps uh, or spikes in rents like we saw last year after many years of not raising rents at all. So we'll try to keep small, uh, modest increases on on those fronts. Certainly as we look at things like water and and wastewater, water will be up about 5%. Wastewater is a continued challenge and uh, we'll see almost 20% increase in wastewater uh, fees next year as we look out just a, a few years here needing to basically replace our wastewater treatment plant. And uh, and we hope these are some of the last years of, of spikes uh, in those wastewater rates as we look to uh, fund a new wastewater treatment plant out at uh, Society Turn here soon. So those are a couple of the key areas. And certainly there's been a lot of discussion around short-term rental fees coming up in 2024. Town council is uh, allowing the cap on short-term rental licenses to sunset in 2024. And so we'll expect some growth in the number of STR licenses, certainly. There is then been significant conversation around regulatory fees on uh, short-term rentals, and council did just pass that, which uh, in Telluride next year will amount to uh, about $857 per bedroom per year. And those are ultimately fees that go directly into our housing fund can only be used for housing.
0: You've touched on some of the the hot topic issues um, when it comes to the budget. What is something that is maybe less of like the sexy topic, Mm -hmm. but you think this is really one that people should be paying attention to that's really important?
2: I'm personally really excited about the Pacific Avenue uh, rebuild next year. This council and the town manager's office will continue to place a really high priority on just improving our infrastructure in Telluride, whether that's our water system Our sidewalks, improving accessibility for all um, along our main street and uh, other blocks of town. Not quite as exciting side of the budget, um, but really important to this community, both for our visitors and even more so for our locals.
0: We've been looking forward to next year, but as we close out 2023, what are some of the things that you feel are maybe milestones or or big things that the town was able to accomplish through its budget in this year?
2: It's been three 30 years or so since the 20% tax uh, for open space was passed. I think we're all within town government really proud that this year, 2023, we were able to finally pay off the valley floor open space. That's huge. And allowed us to make some policy decisions with council to reallocate a portion of that mandated 20% towards other infrastructure projects. So that was a really big marker, I think, for our local government to to pay off that and be able to look now into the future. Again, I, I think we were really pleased with the strength of our small businesses and some of the work we're doing on the economic uh, development front. We, this year, set up a, a economic advisory roundtable for the first time that uh, is a group of local business owners. And maybe last one I'll touch on, which was really fun this year, um, kind of looking through the lens of the town government doing as much as possible to um, enhance community. We took on a, a significant effort around the 4th of July Um, And that free public concert, we'll do that again next year. I think it was a huge success. We'll certainly continue a focus on community events for our locals uh, in 2024.
0: Well, Scott, thank you so much for coming in and chatting with me about the budget for next year. Congratulations on completing this big heavy (laughs) lift for the town. And I appreciate you taking the time.
2: Thank you. I really appreciate the time to just kind of highlight what we're up to, Julia.
1: For San Miguel County Public Health Director Grace Franklin, health is pretty much everything.
3: Everything about your life can impact your health, right? Um, your housing, having safe and healthy housing, being employed, um, being able to have access to quality education, as well as living in an environment that's safe, healthy, um, can really make big different uh, uh, impacts on your health as a whole.
1: That's Franklin at a meeting of the Board of County Commissioners last week, presenting the findings from a community health survey, which took a comprehensive look at the challenges impacting county residents. The county completed the survey with the West Central Public Health Partnership, explains Franklin. That's a six-county
3: region that we have um, where we share resources, we do campaigns together, work really closely.
1: In collaboration with those other counties stretching from Delta to URA, the survey and outreach effort gathered information about demographics, at-risk populations, healthcare access, and so on. Public health then identified areas of concern which came up often. Then, it scored those areas on a number of categories, such as their significance to public health, the capacity of local organizations to address the issue, and the community's motivation and political will to implement positive change. The scoring system revealed three top concerns— Behavioral and Mental Health with the highest priority score at 170, Aging in Place, which scored at 140, and Preventative Health Needs, scoring 139. Franklin reflects on taking in these top three concerns.
3: When we were thinking of how do we actually act on all three of those outside of our normal day-to-day services and practices, Obviously, it became a little overwhelming, right? You're like, how can we truly say we're going to do a really big push and um, make sure that we uh, really move the needle in a tangible and um, quantifiable way?
1: So when it comes to prioritizing and planning, public health decided to focus on just that top issue, which, says Franklin, has already been a source of discussion.
3: Um, Behavioral and mental health has been a concern and an issue that has increased with COVID that has really become a conversation at a community level and a partner level. And so really, how do we uh, start to address this at the public health level the best we can?
1: While this survey effort brought forth a plethora of information about our region's public health, identifying vulnerable demographics, areas of need, and intersections between health and other pressing community issues, the ultimate findings are probably not surprising. Mental health, substance use and addiction issues, and other related challenges are the highest area of need for San Miguel County residents. As public health embarks on new initiatives, it will focus its resources towards that issue. Commissioners largely voiced approval of the decision to prioritize. Here's Commissioner Lance Waring.
2: I appreciate that you were able to prioritize and that must have been a real relief in some sense to take that very difficult list of problems and come up with at least something on top to focus
1: on. The county public health department will continue to collaborate and pool resources with the five-county partnership as it begins to roll out new programs focusing on mental health. Maybe you've hiked the Blue Lakes outside of Ridgeway, up a long road off Highway 62, and below the Sneffels Peak and the Yankee Boy Basin. You certainly aren't the only one to have visited this increasingly iconic spot.
4: It's sort of known anecdotally for years that. But- that area was growing in popularity and uh, in 2021 we kicked off a visitor use study to help us just gather some more concrete data.
1: That's Dana Garduno, You're a district ranger with the Grand Mesa Uncompahgre and Gunnison National Forest. That use study began a long process of drawing up a visitor use management plan which takes a look at the impacts of the area's growing popularity.
4: The goal was to focus on figuring out how to better manage visitation to the areas and try and scale back and rehabilitate some of the damage that perhaps has already been done. And that's um, serving two purposes really, is to help protect the landscape out there, uh, make it more sustainable. And then also just to provide a better recreational experience for the visitors who are out there too. One of the things we heard over and over again with just the crowds um, really detract from the experience and some of the beauty of being in a backcountry setting in a place like the Blue Lakes.
1: The plan is now released in draft form and reaching about 160 pages. It addresses spots ranging from Sneffels Peak to lower Dallas Creek. But says Garduno, it does focus on that heavily trafficked Blue Lakes area.
4: Probably the biggest Uh, highlight of the plan that I would expect would have the most public interest is that we are proposing a permit system for hiking the Blue Lakes Trail um, and overnight camping at the lower Blue Lakes. Um, That was something that we had put out in our proposed action last year as an option and heard a lot of really positive feedback on.
1: Those permits, if they make it through final public input and into the plan, would be available through recreation.gov, just like other Forest Service permits. The plan includes other management actions, closing social trails, increasing signage, enforcing trash pack-out guidelines, and so forth. The plan would also continue to monitor the area going forward, recognizing that further actions could be necessary.
4: So one example um, that the plan looks at is um, use on Mount Snackles Peak itself. Um, Based on information we had available, we didn't feel like starting out with a permit system for hiking the peak was something that was necessary at this time, but we do analyze in the plan um, at what different criteria and thresholds we'd want to look at, perhaps implementing a permit system there as well.
1: The GMUG is now seeking final input from the public. Garduno and other staff from the URA district are hosting an open house to discuss the proposal next Monday, November 6th at the URA County Event Center in Ridgeway at 5 30 p.m. Public comments can be submitted and the plan can be accessed in full at fs.usda.gov gmug.
0: The San Miguel Power Association is increasing its access charge by $2, bringing the charge to $25 per month. SMPA notes the change comes as tri-state generation and transmission increases its rate for wholesale power. According to SMPA officials, the rate increase will not cover SMPA's full wholesale power expense, but it will help cover the cost. Along with tightening the belt and long-term planning, officials say SMPA will be able to cover expenses. The increase will be a flat $2 and will not impact the kilowatt energy rate. The SMPA board approved the rate increase at its October meeting. The new rate will go into effect in January 2024.
1: You could craft a set of tarot cards, take some time to write a novel, record an album, or bring your latte art to mind-blowing new heights. These are all past endeavors of recipients of the Small Grants for Artists program and applications for the annual grants are now open. The Telluride Arts District and the Augment Music Project are again teaming up to offer Augment grants for musicians and the small grants for artists working in performance, visual, literary, and other mediums. Over the years, the grant programs have funded the vibrant and diverse art scene here in the Box Canyon, both by funding professional development opportunities for musicians and artists and by supporting the creation of new work. Applications are open through December 15th and can be found at telluridearts.org slash small dash grants.
0: State lawmakers are moving forward this week with bills they want the General Assembly to consider during next year's legislative session. A legislative committee looking at opioids and other substance use issues advanced four bills on Monday. They're intended to expand access to prevention, treatment, and recovery resources for Coloradans suffering from substance use disorders. The committee rejected a bill that would have legalized overdose prevention centers. Also called Safe Use Sites, these facilities give people using illicit drugs a designated place to use and supervision to avoid deadly overdoses. A similar bill was rejected by the state legislature earlier this year.
1: Last weekend's big snowfall was the push some ski resorts needed to open for the season. But as KUNC's Alex Hager reports, it could spell trouble for
2: avalanche danger in the backcountry. Snow stacks up like layers in a cake. Early snow sets a weak base and could make it more likely for slides to happen later in the winter. Ethan Green, director of the Colorado Avalanche Information Center, says it's better if those bottom layers form all at once through heavier, more consistent snow in late November. From an avalanche perspective, it's not the best start But we still don't know if it's going to turn into a really bad year or just sort of a normal year. And we'll have to wait and see as the weather through the winter unfolds to figure that out. Green says there isn't much risk in controlled terrain at resorts, but backcountry travelers should always check conditions and carry safety equipment. Eleven people were killed in avalanches in Colorado last winter. I'm Alex Hager.
0: A new report from Colorado News Collaborative finds that the state's database for police officer misconduct is alarmingly incomplete and that it fails to stop bad cops from continuing patterns of abuse. For Rocky Mountain Community Radio, KGN News' Alexis Kenyon talked to investigative reporters Susan Green of CoLab and Andrew Fraley, an investigative fellow with the Sentinel in Aurora. The two conducted a six-month-long investigation into the police misconduct database. They also put together a database of their own that includes everything their research was able to uncover. So as you started looking into
5: this, what did you think you were going to find and what did you end up finding?
6: Collab's interest in this was largely, you know, we're about collaborative reporting and we're about looking at questions and investigating things that no one outlet can do alone, just because this is such labor-intensive work. And so part of what we were hoping to see is what does police misconduct and police discipline look like in individual communities? So literally, we had no expectations on what we would find. But for the first time, you could see the names of officers whose Departments reported various kinds of of misconduct, so um, we used those names to file these freedom of information requests for public documents, including internal affairs documents about each of these misconduct cases. And I think what we expected is that we would get those records for each of these misconduct cases. Um, We were a bit flummoxed to find that the Colorado Criminal Justice Records Act (CCJRA) allows the departments to refuse our request if the misconduct in question happened when the officer was off duty or if it didn't involve a member of the public. And so we were stonewalled because of that law from seeing a lot of the details of a lot of these cases. That said, we were able to get the details of most cases and we've compiled a database for the public and also for our news partners to see that whenever they want to look up an officer. And I think we know from the fact that the legislature itself, these elected officials have been so involved in police reform in a bipartisan way over the last couple of years, that police misconduct is absolutely in the public interest.
0: Your
5: article about the investigation starts with the story of a former police officer. His name is Shane Madrigal. Tell me about this story. How did you come across Shane Madrigal? And what
6: did you end up finding? Yeah, so his name popped up on a list of disciplinary actions when we pulled those disciplinary actions last year. I I need to note, by the way, that it's disappeared in the post database. So if you you put his name in now, it looks like he has a clean disciplinary record. But what popped up and what we requested public documents for was this very vague reference to him making inappropriate comments about his involvement in two officer involved you know, on duty shootings and killings. But it was very vague. And so I followed up and did another freedom of information request for the details behind that case, because it just looked odd to me. And what I got was, I want to say it's a 37-page internal affairs report that details his essentially bragging about having shot a man who had carjacked a woman and her her young child. Um, He was one of, I think, eight or nine officers who shot and killed him. But he was using a rifle. He was a Marine veteran, infantry guy, loved guns, and was basically bragging that he shot him 16 extra times in his head, so he could watch his face fall apart is what the wording was. And he said that to enough colleagues that people came forward and there was this internal affairs investigation into those types of comments, his general demeanor and kind of boasting about his involvements in that and another killing, racist comments against Black and Latino members of the public, against gay members of the public, a general disdain for people and human beings such that one of his colleagues said he had no regard or has no regard for human life. So that investigation ended in a recommendation to fire him. But while he was under investigation, he resigned. And part of the reason we wrote about him is that post the state agency, the Peace Officer Standards and Training Board, the agency that certifies officers and keeps this database, it relies on the local departments to report their own officers' misconduct. So it's only as good as what the departments tell them about their own officers' misbehavior. And What we found about Madrigal was that the Denver Safety Department says it forgot to report that he resigned while under investigation. What we also learned is that Post and the state attorney general's office that oversees the Post board didn't use its power to sanction Denver for not reporting. And in fact, has never used its power to sanction any agency for not reporting. So that's really one of our big findings is that this database that's supposed to be a resource for law enforcement agencies hiring new hires or or looking at their background is just woefully incomplete. And that's just one of the ways it is.
5: So I wanted to ask you about this. So in other states, for example, in Idaho, they actively investigate local police departments to make sure that they are actually reporting police officer misconduct and they can impose fines and withhold funding. But in Colorado, they don't do that. A.G. Weiser has said explicitly, you know, this comes down to the responsibility of the local police departments, and he thinks it's up to them to report their own misconduct. He also ended up making the vast majority of the police misconduct database all years up to 2022, he ended up making those unavailable to the public shortly after your investigation began tell me about this
2: that's exactly one of our our big findings with that as well It's just that especially because in part of that law in 21 that kind of revamped some of the same stuff from the law in 2020 after the george floyd protest part of that was requiring police departments to look at that database and reference that database for hiring officers and so obviously, from everything we're saying and, and our investigation, it's it's basically useless because there's so much information that's not there. Our most egregious example is, is Denver Police Department, but departments forgetting to report. And so this database just can't be relied on for those type of important aspects that was assuming that the database was fully transparent, functional, and accurate. And so the things like requiring police departments to reference it before hiring an officer would make sense. But It's just not true. It's not fully transparent and accurate and fulfilled.
6: You know, in fairness, Phil Weiser campaigned for his seat partly on creating this database. And also in fairness, he got it done for the first time ever. And the database is not useless. I mean, it's for the first time, it does say whether an officer is decertified, which is something you couldn't find out before. But he absolutely is being very political. I mean, let's be clear. This is someone who is widely believed to want to run for governor. And he's been very careful about angering the police lobby or or angering departments in certain ways. And one example of that is it was his decision not to make the information about misconduct before 2022 available to the public. It was not, according to several sponsors of the bill that we spoke with, their intention not to make that information public. His office has stonewalled efforts by the news media, you know, other than us, but some of the partners we work with, to get information about the database or to see what Post can see that the public cannot see because Weiser's office, in effect, has in various ways hidden much information from the public.
0: That was investigative reporters Susan Green of CoLab and Andrew Fraley, an investigative fellow with the Sentinel in Aurora, speaking with KGNU's Alexis Kenyon.
1: The National Weather Service forecast for the western San Juans calls for partly cloudy skies tonight with a low around 30 degrees. Thursday should bring sun with a high near 60, followed by a clear night with a low near freezing. Expect sun again on Friday, followed by a partly cloudy night. The Friday high is around 50, with a low near freezing. This has been the news for Wednesday, November 1st. Thanks for listening. If you have a story idea or a news tip, call the news team at 970-728-3206. And now, personal commentaries.
7: Hello, this is Cheryl Carstens-Miller. Four years ago, you elected me to the school board, which I greatly appreciated. Now I'm running again for another term. Many of you may know me, especially from the epic school board meeting where 700 people came out on the Palm and in, on Zoom. Thank you for that show of support. I have always known how much Telluride values our school district, but it was gratifying to see it so graphically. For those of you who don't know me, I have lived in within the school district since 1987. I've gotten married, raised three children, and now have three grandchildren right here. I have had a passion in education since I was a child. I seek to always listen and learn. I ask hard questions, but work to be a team with the rest of the board and the administration. This has worked well to put our path of continuing improvement. Just last night, we saw data on student achievement, that we are on the right path, but have more to do. Please vote for me, Cheryl Carstens-Miller. I will work hard to keep our district strong and moving forward. Thank you.
0: Attention families with children aged zero to five, please join Wilkinson Public Library and Bright Futures on Thursday, November 2nd for a free parenting workshop, Play and Read. Play and Read will be presented by Emily Bordogna, District Literacy Coordinator for Telluride School District. The workshop will take place from 5.30 to 6.30 p.m. and dinner and child care will be provided. We hope to see you at the library!